0: So uh, before I lived in Nashville, uh, I lived in Vancouver, British Columbia for several years. My wife and I lived up there, and my wife made this amazing friend, this woman who was from Mexico City, and she got to be... Uh, one of Amy's, like, best of friends. And so when our oldest son had his second birthday, she made him a pinata and, like, brought it to his birthday party. And, you know, we had a bunch of, like, two- and three-year-olds trying to, like, hit a, hit a pinata with their little arms. and could barely do it. You know, it was really cute. And so, but it come, became this tradition. And so, like, the next year at his third birthday, and then when we moved to Nashville, we continued. And for his fourth birthday, and for his fifth birthday, we would get a pinata and fill it up. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a kid like at a kid's party, like try to break a pinata, but it's kind of a hilarious sight, you know? First, you've got one kid like blindfolded with a bat swinging it literally blindly, like worst idea ever, you know, like and all the other kids, when it's not their turn, they're like standing back with fear in their eyes because their friend's going crazy swinging this bat around. But then there comes this moment where one lucky kid finally like makes contact hard enough and that pinata busts and the candy just comes like bursting to the ground. And in that in that split-second moment, it's like all these kids that were terrified of getting hit by their blindfolded friends suddenly are just like, whoosh, like they're all over that candy. I mean, the candy's on the ground, they're all over it, and they're going in as hard as they can with just this one hope of, man, I hope there's enough candy for me to get some. But something happens once they all kind of get in the scrum and they're in the middle of it, like all trying to get their candy, is that they begin to realize, hey, the question is not, is there enough candy? The question is, do I have enough hands to get a hold of the amount of candy that I want because there's so much candy? And so you see this, these kids get in there and they get a couple fistfuls and suddenly they're like, and they start sticking it in their pants and they're doing it on their shirt and their pockets doing everything they can to get as much candy as they can because in reality, guys, there's plenty of candy. It's just you don't have enough hands to get all the candy that you want. You know, I think this picture kind of captures how Jesus is going to start with some instructions that he has for his disciples. He's going he's gonna to look at them. He's going to have some very clear instructions for them. And if, if you'll remember, we've kind of been walking through this series now for several weeks. And so two weeks ago, I was up here and we said, hey, look, we want God to awaken us to the people around us. And we read the story of the Good Samaritan and said, God, would you awaken us to the people around us? And then last week, Dave got up and he he taught on, hey, Lord, will you awaken us to your presence with us? we looked at this idea that, hey, friendship with Jesus comes before fruitfulness, that intimacy comes before impact. And what we're after is is not always just life for Jesus or life like Jesus, but man, life with Jesus. And tonight, we're going to continue through Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at this idea, Lord, would you awaken us to your purpose for us? And what you see as you read through Luke chapter 10 is that Jesus had gathered these folks to himself for friendship and intimacy, but he was about to give them an assignment. He was about to like do something. He's gonna say, hey, you've been with me and now I'm gonna give you an assignment. And this assignment he's gonna give them honestly in a lot of ways is gonna have them feeling like a kid at a pinata without enough hands. And that's what Jesus is gonna set up. So let's look together in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse one. Luke 10, verse one, says, "'After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, "'and he sent them two by two ahead of him "'to every town and place where he was about to go. "'He told them, the harvest is plentiful, "'but the workers are few.'" So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. This is the word of the Lord out of Luke 10. You know, I, I love this, this, this passage. I love this passage. Last week, it was kind of this, this invitation where David was saying that this comes before that. And, and it was like this idea that Jesus is going, hey, come and see Come and see who I am. Come and see what I'm like. Come and spend some time with me. Come and see. And what we're going to see here is that almost every time in the story of Jesus, once he has said, come and see, he turns around and then he says, now I want you to go and tell. Hey, come and see. Now go and tell. Come and see. Now go and tell. It's this natural rhythm that Jesus lives into. He says, come and see. Come be with me. But now I want you to go and tell others what you've seen in me and with me. And as he gives them instructions, he's going to start with kind of a word of encouragement. And he's going to end in kind of a a place of a a bit of sobriety, like, hey, you know, pay attention to what this is going to be like. Okay, so he starts with this word of encouragement. He says, hey, as you get ready to go and tell, I want you to know the harvest is plentiful. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, hey, guys, there's all kinds of candy. There's tons of candy. The question is, there's not enough hands to grab all that is there. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know, we read a passage like this in Nashville, Tennessee, in 2020, and there's probably a few things that kind of go through our mind that make it hard for us to believe. Would Jesus actually say these words to us today? Would he look at us, Ethos Church, and say, hey guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know, I think sometimes we have a hard time seeing that is true about ourselves because of the time and place we live. You know, we're like, oh, we live in the Bible Belt. We live right in the middle of the belt buckle of the Bible Belt in Nashville in 2020. Like, how, how, is, that, how is that true? You know, there's all these perceptions there was a study that came out just a few years ago that was kind of just gauging the level of faith in Nashville. And the study found two really interesting things that kind of opposed one another. One of the things that it found was that confirmed everybody's perception. They're like, well, there's not much of a harvest. You know, it's like, they said, hey, 86% of Nashville identifies as Christian. We hear that and we're like, man, harvest is done. Like, I'm, I'm finished. Like 86%, God's all done here, Right there's this other interesting statistic that came out in the same study and it said it said you know that's the perception but the reality is that 19 percent of people in Nashville are consistently practicing the tenets of Christianity. Guys that is a stark difference. It's a stark difference and, and what we learn from this is, is that guys there's a big difference between checking a box on a survey that says Christian and experiencing a deep friendship with Jesus. Those two things are so different. And a statistic can measure one of those, but it's really hard to measure the other. And I believe, I really believe that Jesus would look at us as a church and he would say, guys, the harvest is plentiful. There are all kinds of people around you every day where you live, where you work, where you play that do not know the goodness of friendship with Jesus. And they might wear the label of Christian. They might even darken the door to a church on a regular basis. But do they know that the goodness, the joy of friendship with Jesus, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Now, here's another thing that we're going to hear as we read this story. We just have to deal with Like, Jesus is going to go, hey, all those folks that don't know about friendship with me, you need to go tell them about friendship with me. Because Jesus believed that friendship with him was truly the only way to life, the only way to hope was friendship with him. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These were Jesus's words. And this moment where he's sending people out is actually one of the most offensive moments in Jesus's ministry to people in our culture. They read it and they're like, wait a minute, you want them to go do what? Did, did, did you know that, that some 47%, this is a study that came out last year, 47% of Christian millennials believe that it is morally wrong to share your beliefs with someone of another faith in hopes that they will come to share your same faith. Guys, that's almost half of Christian millennials, not not just like the whole, whole generation in our nation, but just the subset that is Christian, believe that the act of sharing faith for the purpose of helping someone else come to faith in Jesus would be morally wrong and intrusive. Guys, it's like Jesus is gonna go, hey, I know that the culture around you is saying, guys, this is not what we do. We don't go out and like talk about it so that others will believe it because that's offensive. But Jesus goes, no, it's not offensive, it's merciful and kind and loving because without me there is no hope, there is no life, there is no peace. Jesus is the way. And so he's gonna commission these folks to go. He says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And I love what he says next. He says, you know, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And so he says, he says, ask, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up some workers. He's like, ask God to raise up some folks that will go so that you have some extra hands in the process of gathering as much candy as you can. Now, this is so crucial, it's such so important. I think a lot of times we read this text and when we come to talking about living on mission, it's like we skip right past this idea of ask for more workers, This is is so much of what we're doing in Awaken. This whole month, we're trying to mobilize churches to pray for our city Is we're asking God, God, raise up workers for our city. There's a harvest to be had in Nashville. God, will you raise up workers, men and women who enjoy friendship with you, who have come to see, and now they're willing to go and tell, Lord, would you raise them up? Guys, it's not, we we pray about this and awaken, and we also seek to equip all of us during awaken. This is why we've given you the resources we've given, you know, that that love your neighbor guide. It's It's going, hey, as you pray for workers to raise up, do you know that you're one of the workers? And we want to give you the resources you need to know how to begin to practically and tangibly love the people around you. And so Jesus says, guys, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So ask God to raise up workers. Pray, but Jesus doesn't stop with prayer. And in a month like Awaken, this is this is essential for us to understand. You know, it'd be really easy to sit around and kind of go, "Man, I I did so good. I prayed for my friends every single day. Prayed for my friends every single day. I did, did my thing. I prayed for missionaries this month. I'd never done that before. You know, I spent a lot of time praying." But I don't want us to miss what Jesus does here. He says, hey, harvest is plentiful, workers are few, pray to the Lord. And what's the very next word that he says? What's the very next word that he says? Go, go. He says, I want you to pray and I want you to go. I want you to pray the Lord will raise up workers and then I want you to step into being one of those workers. I want you to pray and I want you to go. Jesus tells all of us to go. The message is to go. If you are a follower of Jesus, a friend of Jesus, if you have intimacy with Jesus, if you love Jesus, then he says, he looks at us and he says, guys, go. Now, the question, the question we wrestle with is, okay, what, where am I going? Like, where do I go? And I think a lot of people spend a lot of time kind of like, think, okay, I'm ready to go. Lord, here I am. Send me. Where do you want me to go? And we've we've kind of passed down this erroneous belief that to be sent by God means that you have this kind of crazy story where suddenly there's like this abrupt change in your life. And you quit your job and you move to the other side of the world and you go to some far away remote country to tell all the people that haven't heard the name of Jesus. And like, that is one version of being called and one version of being sent that we need. But the reality is that is not what the majority of people receive. And so, where do we go? What does it mean to go? You know, I'm convinced that being sent by Jesus is not always a command for action so much as an invitation for us to recognize our status and our identity as who we are as followers of Jesus. Did you know that, that as a follower of Jesus, there is a sent quality about you? There's a certain sentness that you live into. You know, I love this. The Bible says that we've been created in the image of God. Created in the image of God. And I think a lot of times we think we think of God and we don't think of the word sent. You know, we think of God as a sending God. Yes, you know, God sent the prophets and... God sent Moses to help the Israelites and God sent Jesus ultimately and we love that. You know, that's great, okay that God is ascending God. But did you know that God is not only a sending God, but God is a sent God in and of himself? I mean what did God do? He sent Jesus, but who was Jesus? It's so easy to miss this, that when God saw a broken and hurting humanity, he sent his son, and what that meant was he took on flesh himself as his son. God became incarnate, the incarnate word. This is what John chapter one says. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was what? The word was God. Jesus is God. And it says that he took on flesh and made his dwelling among us And God by his very nature is a sending God, but he is also a sent God. He doesn't just send other people to do all of his dirty work. He comes and he draws near and you were created in the image of God. That we all have the capacity to be those who send and those who pray and raise up workers. But we also live into this identity that we are a sent people we're a sent people. It's who you are. When you step into life with Jesus, suddenly you take on this certain sentness about you. But we still kind of have to answer that question. Okay, so where, where am I sent? I'm convinced that for most of us, wherever you are, that is where you are sent. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, that every time you step into that place, you step into it with a certain scent quality that you didn't end up there just on your own. That you live for one who's constantly sending. I love, there's this moment in the Apostle Paul's ministry in the book of Acts, in Acts 17. And I love this moment. The Apostle Paul has found himself suddenly in the Areopagus in Athens, Greece. And he's standing there and he's speaking to all the most educated philosophers of his day. And he gives this amazing uh, just sermon about who God is and what God is like. But there's this little chunk out of his sermon, starting in verse 26. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, from one man, God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. Now listen to this. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, you hear that God from the very beginning, he saw it all. He saw how it's all going to unfold and which nations were going to be where and the people that were going to be a part of that. And he marked it out, not only their times, but also their boundaries, their specific places. And then listen to verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God, this is so deeply significant that God from the very beginning has been trying to like set everything up so that a humanity that naturally feels like they're distant from him can begin to understand that he is not far from any one of us, that he has marked out times and places for people to interact and to engage because he wants every person to reach out for him and he wants every person that reaches out for him to be able to realize that he is not far from any one of us. Now, you think about what this means for us. So, no accident that we live where we live, that we are where we are, that we, you know, we, we, we kind of think, well, no, I, I took that job because I, I got a pay raise and got a new job. Yes, you had choice in that, and yes, you got that job there. But did you know that when you accepted that job and you stepped into that, Jesus said, hey, I'm sending you, you are my sent one in that space? Because when those people that you're going to be around, when they reach out, when they're looking for hope, it's like, I want them to know that I am not far because I am in you and I'm putting you right there so that they can find you when they look. Because guys, God wants to be found. He's not playing a game of cat and mouse where he's trying to get away from those who are searching. But guys, the way that he so often gets found is that he sends you into people's lives so that they can begin to see the work of Jesus in you when you live in friendship with Jesus. Jesus says, come and see deep friendship. Go and tell. You know, the gym that you go to, the coffee shop you prefer, the restaurants that you frequent, the friend group that you hang out with, the concerts that you go to, the musicians that you tour with, the students that are in class with you, every single one of these, God is going, hey, I want you to see this as my child, as my friend. I am putting you there. There's a setness about you that you embody my goodness, that you embody my love, that you speak about our friendship in a way so that when others reach out, they know they can find me, that I am not far from any. Now, is it, I love this. It helps us as believers. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer and you're walking with Him, it suddenly reframes the entire purpose of your life. Now, I just heard this story tonight before I came up here. There's a church um, movement church uh, across town. Tom was talking about them this morning. They had baptisms this morning, and one of the stories that was told in their baptisms was a young woman that moved to Nashville a year ago, or a little year and a half ago. She said when she moved here, she was just racked with depression. She was suicidal, she didn't know anybody, and she was lonely. And one day, this random guy, his name's Austin, he goes to movement church and he sees her, runs into her in a public place, and he starts talking to her, asks her questions because he was interested in like, not, not in dating her, but just interested as a person, like to encourage her. He starts asking her questions, and she starts telling her stories, he says, hey, you should come to church with me sometime. So she comes to church, And then this morning, she gets baptized at Movement Church, and she stands up and said, man, if you would have seen me a year ago, you never would have guessed. But Jesus found her. Why? Because Austin had the ability to see I am a sent one, that no matter where I go, my life is full of purpose and meaning, and that God may want to leverage your life for the sake of another human being. Guys, this is incredible. That God created you. And you are his masterpiece. And he created you from the very beginning with divine purpose, which he planned in advance for you to participate in. But too often we miss it because we don't understand the sentness that we walked in, that we walk in. You know, if you're here tonight and and you're not a believer, if you're here tonight and, and you're not sure what to do with Jesus and you're wrestling with all this stuff, it's like, man, this idea that God sees you, he is putting people around you. There's a reason you ended up here tonight. I don't know who invited you, but that person was sent across your path for a reason. There's a reason. It's because God wants you to know. He's like, hey, I know you're reaching out, and I am not far from you. I love you. And I'm going out of my way to try to help you see that love. So we walk in this sentness, this sent quality, so that everybody can find the Lord when they reach out, you know? But we have to wrestle with that question. Like, okay, we, we live with this sentness, the harvest is plentiful, which makes it sound like it should be really easy. Like That's just like ripe fruit just hanging down, ready to be plucked. Yeah, the labors are few, okay, I'll be a laborer, I'm sent. But man, why does it still feel so hard? Why, why don't we do this? Why do we struggle so much to live into what Jesus says is our natural identity as sent ones? I think there's a, there's a couple barriers that keep us from living into our sentness completely. The the first one is this. I think too often we find ourselves in the trap of comparing harvest fields. You know, and this this goes this goes both ways. Okay, I'll give you some examples. You know, I think I think one way to think of it is, you know, you're you're a Vanderbilt student and you're looking around, and you see all your friends at Belmont, and it's like, well, yeah, of course there's a harvest at Belmont, because, I mean, that's like a Christian school. They talk about God all they want, and they had to go to chapel if they want to. Of course there's a harvest. Kids are coming to Jesus because it's Belmont, you know? you see where I am, how no, much harder it is here? Do you know what life is like on Belmont's campus? Like, I'm not even allowed to talk about Jesus in class, you know? Like, much less tell my friends about my friendship with Jesus. It's like, ah, oh, my harvest field is so much harder than that one over there. Meanwhile, meanwhile, folks at Belmont are going like, Man, man, there's no harvest here. Everybody's already a Christian. Like, what in the world? It's like, man, if I was at Vanderbilt, then I'd be a missionary. Man, that place needs the Lord. Send me over there, Lord. Give me another harvest field because they need it more than Belmont. It's like, we compare. For some of us, it's the part of city that we live in. We go, oh man, I live in East Nashville. I mean, you know what East Nashville's like? There's no harvest here, trust me. Everybody's done with Jesus. It's all yoga and kombucha and anything else raw or vegan or organic you can think of. Nobody wants anything to do with Jesus, man. This is the hardest place to be a Christian. You guys in South Nashville, you got it so easy. Like everybody down there is hungry. It's like, man, my harvest field's so hard. Meanwhile, everybody else in South Nashville is like, man, if I lived in East Nashville, I'd be on a mission every day. I'd be telling everybody about the gospel. You know, we, we compare harvest fields. And when we compare harvest fields, you know what we're doing. It's like you're walking a row full of ripe harvest right in front of you, but you miss it because you're too busy looking over there going, man, that's that's not fair, fellas, over there. We compare and we miss. And as we're walking, the, the opportunities that God is sending go right by us because we're too busy focusing on where we're not instead of where we are. Guys, you've been sent where you are. Some of you are so busy trying to figure out what's next in the next season of life, and you're missing it right here. Man, why won't God tell me what's next? Guys, he has you right where you are for a reason. He knows what he's doing, and where you are is where he sent you, and where he sent you is where the harvest is. We're set, so we don't compare harvest fields. I think sometimes though, it's not that we're comparing harvest fields, it's it's that there's all these perceived like obstacles. You know, we go okay. I've settled in. This is my harvest field, so to speak. This is the place I've been sent. And then you start actually trying to talk to somebody. You talk to a neighbor. You talk to a kid in school. You talk to a classmate or a coworker. You know, and uh, and immediately our, our our tendency is to only notice the perceived obstacles. We go well. Had that conversation. They're not interested at all. <laughs> Try to talk about Jesus, and they roll their eyes at me. Oh, they're not in. You know, or like, or we go, man, I just. Tried to talk to them, but found out they're an atheist. You know, no, no opportunity there. They don't even believe in God. Like, what? Is that? We see all the obstacles. No, nope, they're agnostic. They're not even searching for truth. No, nope, try to talk to that person. They were so cynical. They're not even interested in talking to me, having a conversation. Or we go, man, our culture's just too entertained. You know, our culture's so entertained. I try to talk about something meaningful and all anybody wants to talk about is what they watched on Netflix the night before. And all these things that we kind of lay out is like, there's no hope for me to get through about my friendship with Jesus in a place where everybody is too fill in the blank. And all we can see is the obstacles. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I found interesting is that once you start talking to a person, Once you start talking to a person and just listening, see, sometimes we see our sentness and we imagine ourselves that, man, we're just, we're here to like, we're here to knock down the wall and get in there and like tell them about Jesus and like, it's like, no, no, you were just sent there to be like Jesus, with Jesus, to be a friend of Jesus on behalf of other people. And as you start talking, as you start listening, you begin to discover like, oh man, this person they have the same fears that I do. They have the same insecurities that I do. They have the same anxieties and worries. Oh, man, this, this person, like, stays up late at night thinking about the same things I do. Oh, man, this person has the same marriage struggles that I'm having. This person has the same friendship, hardships that I've been having, you know. And as you start talking, you start realizing that the very things that drew you to Jesus in the first place and that continue bringing you back to Jesus are just as present in their life as they were in yours and are in yours. And what you begin to notice is that all these perceived obstacles actually had potential to be opportunities for you to be someone who sits with and listens and cares and is consistent and doesn't get scared off by their problems, doesn't get scared off by their beliefs that are different than yours, but you just know how to sit and be with them in spite of the differences that you have. That's so often the obstacles are really opportunities, opportunities to show that you're not scared of loving somebody well, even when they don't know how to receive it. This is what it looks like to be a friend with Jesus who is sent around the very people that he's put around you every single day. You know, so we don't compare harvest fields. We see obstacles as opportunities to embody the fruit of the Spirit, to be love and to be joy and be peace and be patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Like, all those things come out as we try to form friendships with others. I think one of the other obstacles or barriers that we face in this, though, is that our perception of failure. Guys, for, for too long, This word evangelism has had this negative connotation in the church and we're scared to death of it. And it's because we've been told that evangelism is you meet somebody and and you've got your well-lined out argument. Maybe you even got a little flyer with some interesting facts in it that you can give them. You've you've got it all planned out. And you come in and you have the conversation, you nail every single point, you say everything that you want to and they walk away and it seems like nothing changed and it's like, All that, well, they're not interested. And then we go right back to like all these perceived obstacles. Or you're someone who's like, I don't know how to form my own thoughts in the moment. Like how in the world am I going to get? They're going to want to argue me. They're going to ask me, why do you believe that a snake can talk in a garden? You're like, I don't know how to give an answer to that. Like, I don't know. And so we just don't have any conversations. Because evangelism is not about one conversation. It's not about meeting somebody and convincing them that you're right and they're wrong. It's about being a friend with Jesus and putting yourself around real people with real things that are happening and having listening ears and having a courage to speak. Let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. Let me, well, man, I'm so sorry that's been so hard. Can I, you know, I just believe in the power of prayer. It's changed me. Would it be okay if I prayed about that with you and for you? that we just walk with people just like we walk with Jesus, that evangelism is not a four-step process or a one-step conversation. But guys, it is a lifestyle of living into our sentness where our friendship with Jesus just comes out of who we are in the words we use, in the way we pray, in the way we serve, in the way that we love. We were sent. We were sent. You know, Jesus goes on in the conversation. He says, guys, the harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Pray and ask the Lord to raise up workers and go. Be my sent ones. And it sounds pretty encouraging because the harvest is plentiful. There's all kinds of stuff to be grabbed. And then he, he kind of ends on what sounds like kind of a weird place to end. He says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And sometimes we fly right by that phrase because we're like lambs among wolves. Is that like a weird Bible phrase? Jesus is the shepherd. What, what is that? You know, like. But guys, it, just picture that. I mean, think about a lamb. What does a lamb have to defend itself? I mean, a lamb's got nothing. Lamb's got a cute little bleat and some furry little puff of ball fur like around its body. That's all a lamb has going for it. What do wolves have? They've got teeth. They've got claws. They've got cunning. They hunt in packs, and they kill their prey. They kill their prey. That's a terrifying picture it's like, wow, Jesus thinks a lot. You know, harvest is plentiful. Go out, you're going to die a bunch of wolves. It's like, why don't he keep that to himself a little bit? No, he's like, go, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. And I think Jesus is trying to show us, he's going, guys, you are going to be so tempted to go out there and let it be your clever argument or your good deeds or the goodness of who you are be the thing that changes the hearts of those that you're around. He's going, no, that's not the picture here. You are like a lamb among wolves. There is only one who has the power to change the human heart. There is only one being that has the ability to turn the soil of a human heart, to soften a human heart. And that person is not me. It is not you. It is Jesus Christ. And he goes, Guys, you're a lamb among wolves. Don't worry about polishing your arguments. Don't worry about trying to outserve your non-Christian friends. Don't worry about all those things. Just be my sent one to put your friendship with me on display for everyone to see and know that you are helpless in the outcomes. You're like a lamb among wolves. He even says it in verse four, he goes, I don't want you to take uh, any sandals. I don't want you to take a wallet. Don't take any extra money as you go. Basically, he's saying, I want you to understand that you are fully and totally dependent upon me every step of this journey. I love the, the picture that Jesus is laying out. He's going, guys, I'm sending you because I know the one who's gone ahead. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gone ahead. He says, he's gone ahead and he's done some work in human hearts. And he says, I'm sending you ahead of me because I'm coming in behind you. You see, guys, every person you encounter, you're not the first touch they've had from the Lord Almighty. You encounter them and you have no idea what he's been doing in their heart. But he's inviting you to be a sent one and maybe plant or maybe water and maybe harvest. But Jesus is the one who comes along behind you. And he's the one that transforms and redeems completely. We're like lambs among wolves. And guys, this looks all kinds of different ways. man. I've seen it unfold in my own life in so many different ways. You know, I I remember there's one guy I met. He was my literal next door neighbor. And when I met him, his life was a mess. And I thought all I saw was obstacles. I'm like, man, this guy, I mean, he he couldn't hold down a job. He was a self-professed alcoholic. He was abusing drugs. His marriage was in shambles. He had a temper problem. I had to pick him up from jail one time. And every now and then, I, it all started like, I just started loaning him tools. He wanted to borrow tools. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can borrow my tool, you know. And next thing I know, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. I had no arguments. I had no persuasive words. I invited him to church one day. He said no. So we, we kept getting to know him. I invited him to church another time, and he said yes. And I'm gonna tell you, he, he came into this space. This was several years ago. And something happened, like, you know, that little thing we do, hey, tell somebody you're glad they're here. Like that dude, he felt loved. He felt the hugs, the smiles, the like, man, glad you're here, all those things. I was helpless in this situation. I felt like I had nothing to offer the dude, but he came here and then like three years ago, we had the joy of just watching that dude get baptized right here where I stand. His, his, his marriage is still intact. He's still married and he's still got all kinds of struggles, but the dude found Jesus. But, you know, it doesn't always go that way. It's like I've got a friend, one of my closest friends. I've been praying for him for six years. Six years. You know, I'm believing God. He doesn't necessarily want to talk to me about God. Anytime I bring God up, he kind of changes the subject or he starts kind of like juking me a little bit and talking about the universe and universalism and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, God, am I supposed to just go, I've tried, he's not interested. No, God has sent me. Like this guy, his family always wants to be around my family. I, don't, I have no idea why, but I'm like, all right, God, that's where you have me. I'm gonna keep putting myself in that situation as your sent one. This is what it looks like to keep living into our sentness. And guys, I'm just gonna tell you, like, if we cannot embrace this, then Awaken, this whole month, is just gonna be a flop. Because the Lord can work without you but the Lord always works through his people. It's just what he does. He longs to work through us. If all we do is pray and we don't understand that we've also been sent, we get to the end of this month and nothing changes. But guys, if in this month of fasting we experience deep friendship and intimacy with Jesus and then we begin to understand that he's saying, go and tell. And as we've been praying, hearts have been softened and the spirit has been working and we are the ones to go and to reap the harvest that he has produced for us. This is what it's all about about so here's here's what we're going to do we're going to move into our kind of our normal time of prayer and communion and worship as we come to communion i just want to remind you like you get that piece of bread and you get that cup man it is this reminder as you eat that bread it's the body of jesus like you're eating that and you're reminded i have union with jesus and his sentence is my sentence. And my friendship, he wants to put that on display through me and take the cup. And remember, I didn't get here on my own. It was the blood of Jesus that got me here. And that's what my friends need too. Like take it together. And then I've got some prayer prompts I'm gonna put up on the screen here. I'm gonna put those up. And I just wanna encourage you as you commune, just pray through these with each other. Father, please raise up workers. Let's ask him to raise up workers in our city. Father, send me as a worker and help me see where I've been sent. And then Father, please help us depend on you in the process just as lambs among wolves. So I'm just gonna bless you and then we're gonna take some time to commune and some time to pray and some time to worship. If you'd like to pray with somebody, we'll have folks over here at the respond band and we'd love to pray with you. Uh, But let me just pray over us now. Lord, Lord, will you just prepare our hearts to commune with you, Lord Jesus, at the table of grace. Fill us with your spirit as we take the bread, as we take the cup. And Lord, would you give us eyes to see where you're sending us, who you're sending us to. And Lord, help us to embrace all that you have for us as your sent ones. Come, Lord, come as we worship, pray, and commune with one another in the name of Jesus. Amen.